Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wealth Chat presented by CGI. My name is Lubna Bibi. I lead our research team within CGI's global wealth and capital markets practice in Toronto, and I am your host. For this episode, I had a chat with Drew Brown. Drew is Vice President of Consulting Services. We spoke about the voice of the advisor survey and some of the topics that were discussed during the Money Management Institute or MMI conference, such as advisor adoption and the mega social trends that are impacting fintech. Welcome, Drew. Before we begin, please introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Drew Brown. Uh, I'm a vice president in the Global Wealth Capital Markets Group, and uh, I'm a wealth expert. Uh, I've been in the wealth industry for all of my career, but just over 25 years. Um, and I spent the first 10 years um, helping high net worth clients uh, solve their investment needs. Um, and then I've spent the last decade actually helping advisors enable their businesses through technology, process, people. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I've sort of been on both sides of the fence and, and understand the business kind of in a 360 way. Yeah, absolutely. And um, well, I think it's understanding that business that has allowed us to launch VOA, for instance, which is uh, launching this week. Very exciting for us. Um, so what was, I guess I want to go back to sort of the origins of VOA when we start here, because I've had a few conversations and everyone's very interested to know how we started VOA. Um, from my side, I remember when I joined CGI, uh, VOA was still, you know, on a PowerPoint deck. It had about 10 sections and they each had uh, multiple questions uh, within each section. And it was really meant to be a very comprehensive understanding of the advisory role. So what was occurring that made you say, you know, that we should do VOA or we need to go out there and get the advisor's voice heard? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, the voice of the advisor, I guess I got the idea in this, when I when I think about enabling a practice or enabling advisors or enabling sort of a wealth business to succeed, um, you know, the one voice that, that you never really heard enough from, in my opinion, was the front line, the folks who are right there and doing the work, um, you know, the advisors and as important, their associates. And so, um, and I think it's a real competitive advantage to know what the advisors and associates are facing out in the field, because then you can design enablement strategies to help them. You can uh, design practice management strategies to help them. And so for, for, for me, it was we needed to get out there and ask advisors, uh, frankly, how are they how are they coping with all the change? You know, how are they um are they changing? You know, what, what is it that they're, they're going to do with their business? Cause, and, and for us, the, re, the real impetus was wealth management was starting to go through quite a transformation. Uh, and this is a business that's always been uh, quite resilient to change. It was a face-to-face, you know, shake of the hand kind of relationship. So technology was really just a way to, you know, store the money and report to the advisors. It wasn't really um, as, I'll say as as facilitating of a tool as as it has become. So it was kind of a perfect timing to go to market. It wasn't really intentional, but it but it was certainly a, a great way to start this process. Yeah, uh, totally. And I guess given the environment and the fact that we went out during that pandemic with our inaugural survey, were there any responses that you were surprised by, or was everything just as you thought it would go? 
Yeah, no, I, yeah, I would say there were uh, a few surprises for sure. Um, I think the first one and, and, uh, you know, hindsight's probably not as big a surprise, but because advisors were forced to, to change their practice and adopt, uh, digital tools through the pandemic, um, and for the most part, it, it became uh, a pretty simple uh, business model. I think advisors and clients actually adopted to it quite easily. And um, so it was fairly successful. Uh, the willingness of advisors to accept change that was uh, you know, a complete 180 from what I would have expected. So we had a high response saying willingness to change in a business that really hasn't seen change in, in decades. Um, so that was one. The other one was uh, when they when they looked at their business, we asked them questions around their business practice and and you know where they saw their business going in terms of how they um, how they service their their clients. Um, despite the fact they were going to you know they were willing to accept new digital tools and everything, they still had uh, I'll call it a multifaceted business model where it was going to be in five years, it was still a multifaceted business model. There was a slight change to more managed or more discretionary business, but it was nowhere near where I, where I thought it would have been. I, I just, uh, the, the momentum of the, of the underlying business has been more in that direction, but I still feel like for most of them, they, they will deliver a value proposition that will include a multitude of different business models and I think the main reason is, you know, clients also want that. And so that was a, that was a bit of a, um, a surprise to me that they intended to still run those multifaceted businesses um, despite, you know, the momentum towards sort of managed and discretionary. Yeah. Um, and I, when I think about it, I feel like with the pandemic, it, it really forced them to change and become more technically inclined because there weren't really many other options uh, given to them. And it also forced firms to shift their priorities and you know, push their digital projects to the forefront where before it was like, okay, we'll, we'll get to this. We have a plan, we have certain phases we wanna do first. Um, so advisors' willingness to adopt change, would, would it be fair to say that it was largely because of the pandemic or do you feel that they've already been experiencing this digital transformation and the pandemic kind of just forced them to say, okay, you know what, there isn't really much we can fight here anymore. Yeah. You know, I think um, it depends on which advisors that you talk to. There are definitely a group that were forced down this path. I think there were others that were welcoming of it and that the firm just didn't offer the tools in a way that was going to be as simple and easy and, and so I think it actually put forced a little bit of both. Firms had to really adopt the idea that no one was going to be face to face. So how do I, how do I actually um, make it uh, a priority for my advisors to do business in a digital world? And so it completely accelerated the uh, digital signature, uh, where every firm was sort of testing them, kind of you know. And, and I'll say, you know, to their credit, the regulators also loosened things a little to allow for e-signature to become a much more widely used tool. And now it's, every, it's ubiquitous. Everyone has it. Um, but from an advisor standpoint, to your point, I think many of them probably wouldn't have gone to the digital format as quickly as they would have to. 
But I think many of them, it was because the tooling in place, just what just wasn't going to cut it. Um, I think a lot of firms had very um, limited capacity for, for video. And so when you tried to use it, it was always a bit choppy. And, um, you know, the video part was grand, like was pixelated. And so it wasn't a great experience. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I think that was another thing. So with the tools being upgraded and the capacity, so many of the firms had to add, uh, you know, bandwidth in order for, for the, their, their advisors to do it. And so once it was far more um, smooth, I think advisors and clients sort of adopted to it and were like, well, you know, this is actually a much, this is just as, just as good as the experience we were having face-to-face. And for some clients, it's just like, I didn't have to come to your office or I didn't have to clean my house so, that you, so it was presentable when you arrived. Yeah. So, so I think they've, they've all sort of adopted to this a little bit more. And, and um, what that's led to is now they're having conversations with their firm, not about, you know, don't change my business. It's about what's the next set of tools that I can leverage for my business, right? And right. How, how are you going to do that for me? So when we think about the advisors that are recruiting and who are a bit more reserved when it comes to adopting new technologies, um, like, why may that be? Like, we've seen with our survey that usually when advisors understand the need for new technology, when they feel that it'll be beneficial to their business, they're willing to adopt it. Um, and during, I, during the MMI uh, conference that I attended, there was, a, there was a large session on advisor adoption. And the story behind it really is that, okay, firms are creating all this new technology. Um, and, you know, it looks great. They're spending a lot on it. But now how do you get the advisor to actually use it? How do you get them to leverage what's being provided to them? What do you feel firms need to start doing? What, do the, are there certain conversations they need to start having or set up certain programs? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, it's a good question, and I think it's something that uh, firms will have to tackle. I think it's sort of the next biggest kind of trend is around change management and and how to help advisors, um, you know, embrace the change. Um, and it's a lot about what, what you mentioned right up front, which is how do you you need to be able to position change to an advisor that uh, explains to them or or you know, shows, demonstrates to them that there's value to their business. And I think in most cases, they're, they're, they're willing and they're actually looking for ways in which to improve the scale and improve the, you know, the overall client experience. And I think the pandemic has shown them that, di- that digital capabilities and just by, fi- by, you know, tweaks to their business model, they'll actually, they can benefit. From from a lot, of, they can benefit from a lot of the technology. So in in my, uh, I would say the one thing firms need to really spend time on is um, change management or pr- even just practice management. Something that's an ongoing uh, exercise, not just uh, when I release a tool, I'm going to tell you how to use it and then walk away. <laughs> this has to be a much more comprehensive program within within businesses that is. Uh, ongoing. And so out in the field and saying, are you leveraging this? No, I'm not. Well, let's talk about how you can. Um, Because I think the digital or the hybrid advisor is the one that wins the day. Yeah. So when we 
let's talk about the hybrid advisor. So when we go towards hybrid, of course, with the pandemic, uh, which we're still not out of, and it's been over 18 months now, um, people are becoming very used to digital, but there's still an importance to that human aspect, that human touch. So how, so how do we um, sort of create that right balance where, yes, clients are getting the digital experience that they desire while still retaining that human aspect. Yeah, and I, I think that's, you know, again, a way in which you uh, talk it through with advisors, because I, I think you're right, it's a balance and, and advisors will sort of find their way um, to the balance that works for them. Um, even talking to uh, um, advisors through the survey timeline and, and just connecting with uh, advisors that I know, um, Many of them are also are, are in the at the moment trying to figure out how that hybrid model will work. There's not one of them that says they're going back to the way it was. Nobody is going to work the way it was. And I shouldn't say nobody. I'm I'm assuming there'll be a few teams that might do that. But in general, they're all trying to sort out just exactly how do I now manage a team in a in a hybrid environment, right? So my associate who answers my calls. Uh, how are we going to manage that in a hybrid environment? And I, I don't think that's an insurmountable issue, but that, that, that is sort of one of those things. How am I going to have my team stand-ups? When I come in in the morning, we sit in a bullpen, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, everybody, can I get your attention? Let's have our you know, morning stand-up. That's, that's a little different or a little trickier in a hybrid environment. Um, but I think they see a, a ton of benefit in terms of, uh, client experience in terms of interaction model, um, and really that'll come down to how you f how each firm sort of enables or facilitates as to how advisors find that balance. Um, but there's no way that that uh, they won't be going back to see their clients, in, in, in my opinion. I think it's still a relationship game, and and I think there'll you know, there'll be a uh, a lot of clients who are going to want to see their advisor, um, just even to to connect, you know. We're all social people. Um, I don't think we satisfy our social uh, needs just on a video call. So I think we'll see a, a good mix. And I think advisors will find their way to whatever works best for them. I, I totally agree with that. And I, in my opinion, I feel that it can actually help enhance the client experience because um, I remember when I worked in the industry, one of the issues that we would have from time to time was getting a SME, so getting someone, an insurance to come down to the office and have the client in the room, have the advisor, have the insurance advisor and discuss uh, the client needs or their insurance needs in that instance. But now if that insurance uh, advisor no longer has to travel between office to office, they can actually have squeeze in several meetings in their day, uh, which would actually help enhance that whole client experience. So I, to yeah, your, no, you're right. Yeah. No, yeah, so you're right. Your, I think that's exactly right. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just going to say to your point, I agree that, you know, the hybrid model is staying and that it it's really about finding the right mix of how you're going to implement it. Yeah, exactly right. Okay. Yeah. So if we, so shifting back to sort of adoption and some of the things that we here at CGI are doing right now, um, you and I were both involved in helping create the advisory dashboard. So did you want to discuss a bit about 
the strategies that we're employing, how we're trying to ensure that we meet the needs of the market? Yeah, no, yeah, great, great question. And I think that's a, that's a big part of Voice of the Advisor and staying connected to the to the front lines is um, is part of the, the work that we're doing. So uh, for most of what we do with the, it, with the advisor experience, it's all about um, driving uh, uh, through an advisor's journey. So it's all about uh, empathizing with the advisor or associate and saying, so how is it that they would approach this part of the day? Or how is it that they would approach this process and ensuring that we can we can facilitate it in a way that is uh, intuitive, uh, that is also easy. Um, and I'll say that the, the main focus really as we go through the advisor experience is really around ease of doing business. How is it that I can help the advisor get things done efficiently and in a way that they can get on to the next thing and they're not stranded in the middle of a process because they have to go to a different system which they can't seem to get up at the time and and so uh, that's a lot of the work we're doing. And it's a bit more of a, I'll say it's more of a design thinking type concept because we are doing the work through the lens of an advisor, through the lens of the different personas that will use the, the platform. And we are prototyping early. We are running scenarios end to end. And so it's we are kind of being able to see that if I start here, I end here, and how did I get all the way through? And is it intuitive enough, or do we need more work to be done? So, so I think for us and for this particular exercise, it's really just around um, taking the the end user in mind and making sure that we're we are um, getting them from end to end and on to the next thing. That that's the key. Right, um, and I can say that we're. Um, I can attest to that because I've been a part of that whole <laughs> project and we're, we're definitely trying to keep the user in mind and ensure that yeah. we understand what their day looks like and that we meet the needs. I mean, we won't be able to meet every single individual's needs, but meet the needs of, you know, uh, the large majority. So, yeah, and I think, uh, I think the advisor experience though, sorry to catch off is just, um, this is an evolving and this will be a continuous innovation, right? We will put it out to the market in, in one of our releases and we will get feedback. We will It will not satisfy your point. Everyone needs, and we're going to get lots of feedback. We will welcome the feedback in order to evolve the tool. And because it's built in an agile framework, we have the ability to just sort of ingest it and get it out in a, in a, in a next release. And and that that is the expectation. Um, you know, I talk to lots of advisors, but I can't talk to the industry. And some will have different reasons for why they want a different path. And, and uh, that, that'll be, you know, I'll welcome that, those inputs. Yeah. And I think to that point, um, one of the misconceptions people sometimes have is they feel like all advisors are, are the same or they run their book in a certain fashion. Um, and, you know, I, I think we can both say that no two books are alike. They could be similar, but there's still differences. So I wanted to go uh, um, back to the point that you brought up earlier about um, advisors and associates and, you know, the whole team not having to go from system to system to get a task done. And sort of down to is that idea of platformization. So can you discuss what you feel 
or your view of platformization um, and how you think ultimately the industry will kind of get to that point if they ever do in the next couple of years? Sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, and I think at platformization, I hope people don't construe as being this behemoth platform that, that sees everything, does everything. Platformization as a, as a um, concept is, is the idea of it's more about the integration of all of the tools in a way that, that drives the business forward uh, rather than one behemoth system. It's about, it. I think I've said it in the past, it's more about the connective tissues of the ecosystem than it is about which tool you use. Um, and so for me, you know, I will say in the past, um, the industry was more on a track to modernize. And so they would just switch out one tool for another. I think what they have begun to realize, and certainly the number one thing we heard from Voice of the Advisor was, you know, I need a more connected environment. I need to be able to go from start to finish. And if it requires three or four tools, I should just be able to follow it all the way. I should not have to feel like I'm going from one thing to another. And, and so it's about connecting that last mile um, that I think is critical. As firms go through transformation, it's really about making sure don't stop before you've integrated to, the, to that last mile. Because it also, when you start to do that, then there's opportunity for automation. There's opportunity to you know, simplify the process around um, that particular um, path or journey that the, that the advisor is trying to get through. So, so I think platformization offers lots of uh, opportunity for firms to um, drive some efficiency, um, but also drive a much better advisor and, and at the end client experience as well, which is you know probably the most important. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you that platformization is all about that connectivity. And um, when I think back to my time in the industry and the idea of having something that would ensure that you didn't have to duplicate, you know, just mundane processes like inputting administration information over and over again. And the reason you're doing it is because it's in several systems. So, you know, from our survey and whenever we talk to people in the industry, one of the big things is why we have the information. Why can't it just flow across? And, it, it, you know, platformization is supposed to solve that issue. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, give, given the pandemic and the changes that we've experienced, um, another really interesting portion of the MMI um, summit was what they called their mega trends. Um, so they had four of them. And the first one was decentralization. And it's all about moving away from the middle. So when I think about it, I see things like Spotify, right? You no longer have to go out there and buy an entire like uh, album of an artist. You can just consume in chunks. Um, what are your feelings uh, on this movement of getting away from the middle and just having things come in smaller chunks? It could even be applied to financial services in the sense that we have companies that traditionally didn't play a certain role and now they are. For instance, Tesla is selling insurance, right? Um, and you have right. all these other companies that are doing very uh, interesting things like that. So where do you see this trend in 
decentralization going. Um, yeah, that's a really good one. And, and I think um, social trends like that um, have, for the most part, not really played much of a role in financial services in the past, because again, it was a face-to-face relationship type business. But the more that um, these types of things, the ability to uh, get music on demand, the ability to uh, watch a short video instead of read a whole book, uh, just that sort of different interaction point um, is far more immersive now in in our every day-to-day life. And so in financial services, it's just, it's going to happen. Just not, a, it's not a question of when it's, or, or if it's when. And um, I think you will start to see that uh, in the next little bit where um, advisors will be providing, uh, you know, short videos for people to get educated on financial services. Um, I think you'll see uh, areas where um, parts of the business will be done by uh, special specialists. Like um, I think gone are the days where it's going to be this trip. Like you can be everything for everyone because I, I just, it, it, one, you don't have the capacity, but two, I think you, you have to sort of set, uh, have a mindset of just exactly who am I trying to serve? And that's yeah. different than it always has been because in the past, that's been the, that's, it's, it's always been led by the advisor, but that's today, the experience is led by the client. And that is a, that's been a major shift in uh, business. That's, and I'm not saying financial service, that's everywhere. That's, re, that's, you know, whether it's retail, whether it's uh, car dealerships, right? Um, and, and they, and a lot of them have welcomed that and provided self-serve to a client much. Yeah. So, so you can see, I could go and buy a car online, never, never having touched it, never having been to the dealership and they can drop it off in front of my house with the car, with the keys and hand them to me. So I never yeah. had that face-to-face interaction. Right? Well, there's even like vending machines now for cars, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. right. So, so, I, um, so I think there's, you know, there's new models and there's new ways. And I think we're going to see a lot of that um, that has been fairly resilient in financial services is going to come right back and it's going to come in. And, and really it's the firms that can set themselves up in a way to handle that. And I think that is probably one of the bigger ones is remember they need to remember that it's not a modernization. This is a transformation. And so they got to be open to new, new business models and new ways of operating. Absolutely. And when I think about it, I feel like light financial planning is another, it's another one that, that pops up into mind. It's I no longer want that 300 page financial plan. I just am interested in this one area and that's what I want you to provide me. Um, That's right. Now, yeah. So, um, and now another very fascinating trend to me, which is, I think everyone can relate to, is this idea of measuring wellness. We want to measure everything from, you know, uh, from our fitness to our nutrition to our sleep. Um, and it, it extends into our finances as well, because we're in an era where uh, it's about what I value and what impact I'm making. Um, so, 
where do you see the trend with wellness, with just essentially measuring every aspect of your life going? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's been a big trend. Like, I think like most people, I wear a watch that tells me how many steps I take uh, during the day. And some days I look and some days I don't. But there are many who, you know, they're, that's how they set their goals and, and do the thing. And I think goal setting has become uh, just uh, or even just watching and monitoring metrics is is just the way we we now live and, and do things. And um, I, don't, I, I think that's only going to to uh, become more and more. And I don't suggest it's going to be unhealthy. I just think it's it's just a way in which you can see how you're doing against the way in which you expect to live. Um, just this past weekend, my sister woke up and was and was excited to tell me that she had an 84 on her sleep app. And I said, <laughs> well, what does 84 mean? And she said, well, I don't know, but I'm happy that I got 84 out of 100, right? So, um, well, it's a high score. You know, That's an A right there. Yes, there you go. <laughs> So I think uh, for financial services, obviously goal planning has been the place in which it's it's first um, been become the forefront. I, I think we're going to start to see things like measuring people's investment personality, about measuring. So it's to say, you know, how how am I as an investor? Not just can I handle risk. It's just like tell me about what I do. And we see that. I mean, it's already it's not new. Um, it's just how we bring that to light and bring that to market. I think things like that um, are going to help firms um, retain clients, uh, drive better client experience. And so um, even today, when you look at the, the way in which we interact with clients from a financial service perspective, it's very few, um, I'll say, true interactive uh, portals. It's mostly just a place I can go get some a little bit of information, but it's not. It's I can't get immersed in the in the experience. I think that's gonna that that has to change because because we have that immersive experience elsewhere, and so I would say that's that's an area of focus for the industry for sure. I completely agree with everything you just said there, Drew, and um, I feel that people have come to a point where it's all about values and. Uh, you know, they want to feel like their values are incorporated into everything they do, and that includes their finance. Um, and and to your point about having an experience, there there's been this movement where the industry is trying to move away from being product centric to now being uh, experience centric. So, what experience do we want to provide the client? What experience do they want to be provided? Um, and so, I think that that all ties in with current trends and we can kind of see that with firms like aspiration who essentially take your credit card statement at the end of the month and then tell you uh, what impact your spending had on the environment and so it's like i it's no longer just about you know my data that i'm providing to you you're actually giving me something back for my data and now i can say okay i did well this month you know i helped save x number of trees um, and that's just, I feel like that's not changing. The third trend that was discussed, uh, in the conference was this idea of, um, going direct to the creator. So if, if we think about things like Etsy, you'd no longer have to, you know, go through Amazon or to, let's say your supermarket to get a certain designer or to get certain pieces made by a local craftsperson, you can go now directly to Etsy and you can 
uh, communicate with the creator and, you know, order whatever it is that you need to. Um, and I know NFTs were big for a while because people were creating their own NFTs and selling them. Um, some were making a fair bit of money on that. Um, and most recently, we found out just last week that Amazon and Salesforce are partnering up and creating Trading TV, um, where now you have traders that are going to go online and they're going to discuss their portfolio and they're going to publish their models out there of what what they're investing. And I'm assuming we don't have too many details yet, but that it'll, their models will be tracked and people will actually have this you know, direct kind of online communication with the actual creators of these models instead of just putting their funds away with a, a model manager who you know they've never seen and they don't know even <laughs> if they really exist or if it's just algorithm driven. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's a that's a trend that'll continue. Obviously, I mean, TikTok's based on the following a creator, right? There, there's that's that is a, um, and I, I don't even think it's a generational thing. Um, I, I think the you know it's it's around crowdsourcing things. Um, people are looking for you know what are people up to now? Exactly to your point, um, I, it actually I think already exists in in, in several places where you can go and look at how someone's portfolio is doing if they, if they choose to, to publish it and you can follow that portfolio if you want. I, I think there'll, there'll be more of that. Um, there'll also be more of that compare uh, to a, to compare to a creator. Like, and, and I think that just creates a, another business model that will evolve. Right. Um, you know, robo advice, they said was going to kill the advisory community we know that's not the case right they just found a good space for themselves in the market just as everybody else has when direct investing first hit the market it was you know the death of the advisor and again it's it's not it's just created its own market and its own space and and it just you know further emphasizes you know as humans we're unique and we have unique needs and and different ways of doing things and it's just a matter of finding ways to satisfy those group of clients or group of people um, and and I think we're we're seeing in a lot of cases, you know, um, where retail investors are having a bit more of an influence on the marketplace um, that we haven't seen before. I think GameStop's a great example of of how you know just the power of of the crowd can can change things. <laughs> and uh, and I, I you know I think a lot of that stuff uh, where it's a little bit more retail or a little bit closer to the creator, as you said. Um, I don't think there'll be, I think there'll be more of that, right? People will be looking to influencers for, uh, investment advice rather than an advisor, but that's not everybody, right? I don't think I'd ever look to an influencer for investment advice, partly because it's a lot of work and I, you know, I have a job and, <laughs> and everything else. Um, but, but there are those who, who, you know, they, they would, they would welcome that and, and may in fact be a bit more comfortable with that as their investment advice. So. So, you know, again, these are all just uh, trends that I think that one might be a bit more slow moving in the in the space of investments. But uh, but certainly it's not a if it's a when and uh, and just what the models looks like. It'll I think that one actually to me feels like it will be a more fluid approach. It's not going to necessarily find a perfect niche. I think people will just follow them for advice and then they'll talk to their advisor and say, well, I saw, here's what I heard, right? It might make it yeah. a little bit more difficult for <laughs> the advisor potentially. No, I, I agree with you. And I think 
that the people that are most involved in these models right now are the Gen Z crowd and some millennials. Um, and they haven't accumulated enough assets. And me personally, I have seen this trend where uh, friends that I know have followed uh, some of these influencers, invested in certain things. And once they have money, now they want a professional because, you know, you never know what's going to happen and they want to be secure. Yeah, um, sure. I mean, it's, it is a, it's a time in life, right? So yeah. when you're a first in time investor, those who are curious are going to spend a fair bit of time. And, but when you accumulate wealth and quite frankly, you move along in your career, you get busier. And if you're really not in the investment game, it, it also becomes a second job. And, and so I think, I think there's always going to be a, an advice stream and it's just to what degree did people follow advice? And I think that's why we're seeing all of this proliferation of different models because it's not a one size fits all and it's a graduation, right? Along the way. Absolutely. And well, I mean, speaking of models shifting, um, the last trend is around what they're, what's being dubbed as the involuntary tech revolution and that it's essentially that the pandemic forced us all to become digital, even though we didn't truly want to be in certain aspects. Um, but now, but now we trust it. You know, we were, we were forced to, like, I completely trust the corner shop picking up my groceries for me and dropping them off at my door where before I was like, you know, I want to go and pick my own, my own things. Mm-hmm. Um, so where do you feel this is headed? Do you think it'll find its own niche place or do you think, like, I, I feel that with all things, there'll be a balance created, but what do you think that balance looks like? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I would just look at this as it's almost the backbone of of the way forward, right? We aren't going back to sitting at a desk and meeting a client in their home for every client, or we aren't going back to that uh, traditional model. And this involuntary tech revolution has legs. It, it has momentum. It's changed priorities in terms of how banks spend their money right now. There is a, a, a greater degree of, of dollars to be prioritized to digital um, capabilities just to be able to provide a more hybrid experience or fully digital, depending on, on how you, how they want to approach it. So I, I think it, it really is the backbone of the momentum that we've seen. And I don't, and I, that it's a, it's a trend that's here rather than one that's coming. Um, and I, I think it will only, um, further, uh, persist and it's, um, you know, certainly as the pandemic draw, drives on, draws on, and hopefully it's not for very much longer, but it, it does uh, continue to, to to create that that investment for that that sort of urgency for spend. Absolutely, uh, that was great. Before we wrap up, was there anything else that that you wanted to comment on uh, about the discussion that we had, or something we you feel we may have missed? No, I guess the one thing I'm I'm excited to 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 see the results of our second VOA because. Uh, the first one was quite informative and it helped us sort of um, educate some of our uh, clients and being CEOs and, and heads of wealth businesses. Um, it gave them a better perspective. And so I'm looking forward to, to seeing that. And, and, and I'm also looking forward to seeing how the business evolves because um, for the first time in my career, um, wealth has never been more active in transformation. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this all unfolds. Awesome. Well, thank you, Drew. This was great. Yeah, this was great. Thank you, everyone.